Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter, at Will McFadden. We've got a shorter show for you today uh, because it is late June, uh, about to be July, really just the dead of the offseason as far as football is concerned. Not a lot of guests. Everybody's getting some vacation time. I myself will be going on vacation starting this weekend, so there will not be a podcast next week. Um, but before I head out, I wanted to you know do a, something a little bit fun, and this is the time that's really all about projection. You know, the coaching staff's projecting, the players are trying to figure out you know, what can they be? So for today's episode, we're going to be getting into my top five breakout candidates and my top five hot seat guys heading into training camp, heading into the 2021 season. So that's what we've got on the docket today. I encourage you to please like and subscribe. Tell your friends if you do enjoy uh, this episode and this podcast. We're, you know, uh, about 11 in now, I believe. So uh, it's been a journey so far, but I'm excited to continue, especially once we get more football to talk about. But that's what we have on the docket today. Before we begin, a quick word from our sponsor. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get into today's episode, shall we? So we're going to talk about breakout candidates and guys entering the year, maybe on the hot seat a little bit. There was something that Dan Quinn always used to say early when I started covering the team, which was he really expects an NFL player to kind of take one jump from between years one and two. So the rookie season going into their second season. And then again, from years two and three. And I think we've seen some examples of that, you know, notably Calvin Ridley was playing really, really well for his first two years and then kind of took that huge jump last year. And I, and I did some research. There was a piece I wrote for AtlantaFalcons.com heading into last season where I really looked at all of the elite receivers over the last two decades. And that third year is very crucial for wide receivers if they're going to make that jump. So he's an example of that year two to year three. I think about a guy like Chris Lindstrom, who obviously missed a lot of his rookie year uh, with injury, but then last year was quietly one of the better guards in the NFL. And I will actually get to him a little bit later in this conversation. So that is mostly where you're going to see a guy. If, if by year three, he's not, he's usually what he's going to be. And so sometimes you get somebody who really does take a little bit of a jump after that, you know, think back to Ryan Tannehill, you know, Arthur Smith, now the Atlanta Falcons head coach, 
the reason everybody knows Arthur Smith's name is because he got more out of somebody like Ryan Tannehill than anybody else had before, notably Adam Gase. A lot of these guys on my list are still early in their career, enough where I believe that they could take that jump. So let's dive into it. My top five breakout candidates heading into training camp and then heading into the 2021 season. I'm going to start off with a couple of honorable mentions. My first is running back Mike Davis, well established into his career, a veteran who the Falcons brought here probably to be a stopgap guy at the running back position. But I'm very curious to see what Mike Davis can do, especially with Arthur Smith. Now, is he going to be Derrick Henry? Hell no. He's not going to be Derrick Henry, as Arthur Smith will gladly tell you and has told me a couple times, there's only one Derrick Henry in the NFL. It's like having Shaq in his prime. So to ask Mike Davis to be Derrick Henry, you're already setting him up for failure if those are your expectations. That being said, can Mike Davis be a thousand yard rusher? Probably, you know, maybe even that might be a little bit of expectation. It depends on really what do they do with the rotation? How much of a running back by committee is this? But all signs are pointing right now for Mike Davis to be not necessarily a bell cow, but at least the number one running back out of the gate. And I like how he fits into what they're going to do. He brings that low center of gravity. He's got great balance. He's a little bit of an underrated pass catcher, but can definitely find the holes. He, he had a little bit, I think, of popping on everybody's radar last season when Christian McCaffrey went down. But now that he will have the chance to really kind of steal this job in training camp and go into the year as I think the number one back on this roster, let's see what he can do with it. And it would not surprise me if, you know, he puts up one of the better seasons that we've had, maybe at the running back position since 2017, the last time they really had, you know, a notable season uh, with the run game. The second I've got on this list, and if I were asking a number of people to put together a top five list of breakout candidates, I would bet that this person would be on the majority of people's lists. And he's probably sixth right now for me. And I passed him over for another defensive lineman who we will get to in one second because he's number five on my list. But Marlon Davidson gets the honorable mention number six spot for me because I'm just wary about knee injuries. And when he came into camp, when he came into minicamp last year, kind of with that knee injury ailing him, I I didn't think too much of it. But now, having seen how it all played out, I just I'm I'm wary of knee injuries. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to come in absolutely healthy and be a great player. And I really, really like that pick when he was coming out of Auburn. And he's a weirdly a great fit, I think, for this defense, given the versatility as such a big man. He is so flexible. He does have so much bend. But again, how much did that knee injury sap that ability? He's still young. I'm not counting him out at all. The dude's a dog. He's got that mentality. I really like Marlon Davidson, the person. And I really hope that I'm wrong. And I like Marlon Davidson, the player. And it's a true breakout year for him. So let's get to my list. Number five. I've got John Kaminsky here. And, you know, I'm probably a little bit out on a limb, but I'm planting my flag out on that limb. Uh, John Kaminsky was one of the first people that I talked to from that rookie class and a very smart guy, a, a really just intelligent dude, which is not surprising given that he played quarterback uh, in high school. And, and the notable story when they drafted him was how he bulked up about 75 pounds, if I remember correctly, 
throughout his college career to really become a dominant force for his defensive line in college. And the main reason why I'm high on him, he's 6'5 and 285 right now. At least that's what he's listed. If the if the coaching staff asks him to add a little bit more weight, I think he does have the frame to carry it. But he's a versatile player. You know, he can play inside and outside, and that's what I think this defense is going to be all about is versatility. And I think that his intelligence, if there's one thing that I've read about Dean Pease's defense over the years, it's that they can be a little complex. Now, what makes, I think, Dean Pease a very good coach is that he simplifies his complex schemes for his players so that they don't have to understand the schemes at like a coaching level. But they know enough to really make the schemes as effective as they can be. Now, I think John Kaminsky is the type of person who could probably understand the schemes at a coaching level. And defensive line is not, you know, you don't have to know too, too, too much about what's going on. It really is just put your hand in the dirt. Are you stunting? Are you looping? Are you playing head up? Are you, are you shadowing? You know, whatnot. So even that, it's not too much that they're going to ask him to do. But notably, he was the second highest graded interior defender for the Falcons last season, according to Pro Football Focus, right behind, or not right behind, but behind Grady Jarrett on that list. And he was 57th overall among all interior defenders um, in the league last year. So let's see if he can make that jump from, from year two to year three. He's, he grew a little bit from year one to year two. And I like him to, if he gets the shot that I hope he does and really carves out a role for this defense, who knows? I like to see, or I'd like to see him really take that next leap and, and kind of be maybe your three, four uh, edge on one side, or, or maybe when you go to four, three, you can, put him next to next to Grady or have him man one of those edge spots. So John Kaminsky, congratulations. You are number five on my breakout player watch list. Number four on my list is somebody who I've talked about several times already this offseason, and that is Michael Walker. Now going into his second season, I'm fascinated to see how this defense will use a player like this. Notably, he was the highest graded linebacker for the Falcons uh, on PFF last year as a rookie, but the big caveat there is that he played way less snaps than Deion Jones or, or Foye Luicon. And, and I don't anticipate if he had the same level of volume for him to match that success. But crucially, in year two, you expect him to handle a little bit more volume. He'll probably start the year as a backup or at least a rotational player just because of how deep the linebacker unit is. And it, it is the deepest unit on this defense and, and filled with some really good players. But that could also benefit him. You know, if if he really just is given a couple of specific roles and asked to dominate in those roles, I think we saw last year that he's got the potential to do that. He is listed as an inside linebacker, but the thing that I like about Michael Walker is I do think he has the versatility to slide inside or outside. Now, the question there is, is he asked to slide outside as a pass rusher or is he asked to slide outside as a little bit more of a coverage uh, player? He had a gr- an an incredible, I think he, I mean, among all players, I think he had one of the best coverage grades uh, on PFF uh, last season. But again, the caveat is he had much fewer snaps than most players in the league, but he was in the 90s in PFF's coverage grade. But the thing that, that I like with him is coming out of Fresno State, you know, he was a little bit more of an edge defender, linebacker hybrid, and he did have 61 pass rush snaps last season, which was the third most among all rookie linebackers. I think the potential is there. The key is how they want to use him. And that's something that I'm really going to be following closely 
throughout training camp to just kind of get a feel for what kind of role they have in mind for Michael Walker. But I think he has big breakout potential for a defense that really needs somebody to break out. All right, number three on my list, and I talked about him earlier, is Chris Lindstrom. Now, you could argue that he had his breakout season last year. He ended the season as Pro Football Focus's number nine overall guard. Think about that. His first full season of NFL football, and he's already a top 10 guard, according to Pro Football Focus. And you could be saying, well, you know, should we really trust Pro Football Focus? I don't know the answer to that. I think that they do pretty good work. I know the work that they put into it, but I also know that they have some of their detractors. Me, I'm always kind of kind of look at them as a reference because if you kind of over time, what they say bears out. Number nine to me stands out. If, 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 you're, the, if you're in top 10 in any metric that kind of is a, an amalgamation of a bunch of different stats or analytics, to me, you're doing something right. And the key here is that he did it despite playing in an offense that really doesn't do a ton to help the offensive line. When Kyle Shanahan came to Atlanta and we were thinking back to like the James Stone days of the offensive line in 2014, where they just had a really a really bad unit. No, no shots to those guys, but, uh, but I think we all understand that it was definitely needed some work. Kyle Shanahan in, in two years really transformed it into a group that was one of the better units in the league. And it kind of remained that way in, in 2017 under uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And then 2018 was a, a little bit of a hit. But in, in 2019 and then in 2020, despite adding two first rounders to the group, still was a little bit of a weak spot. Matt Ryan was still getting hit a good amount. And the thing that Kyle Shanahan does so well is his scheme really, really makes life easy on the offensive line. And with Arthur Smith, you're going to be kind of moving back in that direction a little bit. So we've seen Chris Lindstrom ascend to among the better guards in the NFL in a scheme that doesn't do him a ton of favors. It is some deeper drops. It is a deeper route concept. You're going to have to block your guys longer. And frankly, with the Falcons playing from behind a lot, that means defenses can pin their ears back. They know that Atlanta has to throw the ball. It's like, you know, when you're down 20 in the fourth quarter in, in an NBA game, they know you're going to be trying to take a lot of threes. So that's the environment in which Chris Lindstrom has grown up the past two years, and he is still finding success. He's in his third year mentally because when he was injured as a rookie, he was still learning. He was still understanding. He was developing alongside of veterans like Alex Mack and Jake Matthews just benefiting from being in the room. But it really is kind of a second year physically, which I almost kind of think is a perfect storm. He doesn't have that wear and tear. Yes, he did have an injury as his rookie season, but he wasn't out there every single week in the trenches. So I really, really think that Chris Lindstrom, again, he's already a top 10 guard, but I kind of think that this could be the year where we walk away saying, all right, the Falcons have a legitimate interior presence that has a chance to be among the elite in the league. And they haven't had that since, you know, maybe that 2016 Andy Levitre season and, and no shots to Alex Mack. I'm, I'm talking specifically about the guard position. Um, but it's really exciting uh, for Chris Lindstrom because I really think that he's got the right mindset. He's got the right makeup. He's, he's tough as nails and he's really smart. And I think the sky's the limit for this guy. So he's number three on my breakout list. All right, I said earlier that that the biggest that Dan Quinn always said the biggest jumps come after a player's rookie season. 
So I feel a little bit weird, but also extremely confident to have rookie tight end Kyle Pitts is number two on my breakout candidate list. And I think an extremely strong case could be made for the number one spot. I mean, I don't, how much do I really need to say about Kyle Pitts? We all know, we've all seen, you know, what he did in college that it, he was considered the greatest tight end prospect ever coming out of college, at least in Mel Kuyper's opinion. And Mel Kuyper knows way more than you or me, uh, when it comes to scouting college prospects, the, the key here is how do defenses choose to play him in his first season? Because I think that will a tell us a lot about what NFL teams think about Kyle Pitts, the player, but also, you know, what can Kyle Pitts truly accomplish in his first year? I'm a little bit wary to sit here and just say, you know, he needs to have a thousand yards or it's a bad year. That's a lot of expectation to put on a player. Calvin Ridley didn't have his first 1000 yard season until this past year. And now we consider him among the best receivers in the league, or at least maybe in that second tier with the chance to move up into the first. So even if he's amazing, even if he ends up with 800 yards, that's a huge feat for a tight end. You know, that that's Travis Kelsey range to do it in your first year. Even if he finishes with 600 yards and eight touchdowns, I'm going to look at that as an amazing year for a rookie tight end because it's so hard to achieve success as a rookie in the NFL that it really truly is the difference from going to taking a college course on whatever subject to then becoming a professional in the industry and then talking to somebody who's been a professional in the industry for 15 years and you realize, I don't know jack shit. You know, I, I don't know anything that I'm talking about. All I've heard are theoreticals and this dude's lived it for 15 years. That's kind of what it's like going as a rookie into the NFL where you learn that, no, this is a professional business and you have to conduct yourself accordingly. So I think that the way defenses choose to play him, if they really do focus on Calvin Ridley, I look for Kyle Pitts to shine early on and then kind of maintain that throughout the year. But if defenses look at Kyle Pitts as the part of this offense they need to really game plan against, I think that will actually tell me more about Kyle Pitts's future. But I do think it will suppress the statistical output that he has in his first year. But that's actually the outcome I think I would be more excited about because it tells me that the Falcons really did land that generational talent that everybody believed him to be coming out of the draft and that he may be the most likely fit to fill that Julio-sized gap in terms of this dude just totally changes how a defense wants to operate. So Kyle Pitts, number two on my list. And let's get to the very top guy on my breakout list is Mr. AJ Terrell. Last year's number one pick for the Falcons had a really, really good rookie season. I mean, the numbers bear it out. He made 14 starts. He had seven pass defenses, three forced fumbles. He got a pick, almost had a chance to uh, pick off Patrick Mahomes in the second to last game. And if he had done so, you know, the Falcons probably win. But hey, that's a learning moment. That's a learning moment that came at the end of a tough season, but came at the end of a great season for a player at a position where notably it's extremely hard to thrive. And he was fourth among rookie cornerbacks in overall pro football focus and uh, his overall pro football focus grade. He was second among rookie cornerbacks in his run defense grade. And his coverage grade was, was a little bit lower, but it was still seventh among all rookie corners. So he's kind of the complete package. And 
I think the DNPs like he'll thrive in this scheme because what Dean Pease likes to do is disguise everything, but he relies on players who can do a little bit of everything and do a little bit of everything really well. And those numbers aren't even necessarily a true reflection because he's being compared to players who played much fewer snaps. He played the second most defensive snaps among rookie cornerbacks and the most coverage snaps. So the Falcons threw him into the fire last year and he responded in exactly the way that you would have hoped. Why I'm so high. I mentioned how Pease likes to use his corners. He said that they're going to be blitzing from everywhere. They're going to be blitzing from the heavens. They're going to be asking everybody to get after the cornerback. And AJ Terrell had a 78.7 pass rush grade, according to PFF last year, which was the highest among rookie cornerbacks by over 10 points. If they really unlock that aspect of his game, it's only going to help his ability to cover. Because quarterbacks are not going to know whether or not AJ is pressing at the line of scrimmage or if he's coming or if he's sitting off and ready to just come around the edge if the quarterback's looking the other way and and take him out or light him up. And receivers are not necessarily going to know what they're doing either. So I really like the way that or the way that I believe AJ Terrell is going to be used in this system. I know that the Falcons have primarily run kind of that cover three zone. And that's not necessarily going to be what Dean Pease is going to run here. But I think that's a good thing because watching Terrell, he's got the skill set to be a man corner. He's got the skill set to, you know, be a zone corner. His tackling is really good, but he can kind of flip his hips and run with a receiver and, and stick with them on the route. I mean, we all saw the plays that he made and didn't make last year, but even the ones he didn't make, he was right in position and he's only going to get better in year two. If there is that player that I think is going to make a big, big leap from year one to year two, it's the player that plays one of the toughest positions in the league, but played tough as nails in his first year, and that is A.J. Terrell. And if he does so, this Falcons defense will be considered a unit on the upswing. All right, so those those are my breakout guys. Let me know what you think about the list. It was interesting as I was going through it. I had more breakout guys than I did hot, have hot seat guys, which I think is both an indication of how young this team is and how much they've had to kind of build in the draft throughout the, the last few years. You know, my top five is entirely guys who have been drafted uh, the last three seasons. That just kind of speaks to the way that, that the Falcons have been trying to go about building things. You know, I did have Mike Davis as an honorable mention, and, and we'll see what happens there. But I think if if those guys tend to be better than worse in 2021, that the Falcons could actually surprise some people and not necessarily earn a playoff spot, but at least maybe be in contention when the weather turns cold, which, man, wouldn't that be refreshing around these parts? So that's my list. Let's move now on to uh, guys on the hot seat. And this, this can be defined uh, in a couple of different ways. For some, it's you know a player who maybe this truly is your last shot. For some, it's more about what kind of role do you actually end up having in the NFL? Because there are some where I do think they end up still having a role, whether it's in Atlanta or whether it's somewhere else, because they've got talent. But it's just kind of, okay, is your ceiling here or is it here? And one of those guys uh, is number five on my list, and it's Matt Gono. And Matt Gono is, is one of my favorite players to have watched and covered over the last, last four years. 
And I think a lot of fans feel very fondly for him as well. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's already overcome the odds. He was an undrafted free agent who the Falcons kept on the active roster as, his, as a rookie because they didn't want to lose him. They didn't want a team to pluck him off of their practice squad because they considered him that type of developmental prospect. And he's kind of been that and, and lived up to those expectations, even though he's yet to really crack the starting lineup as a full-time starter. And so that is why I have him at number five on my list, because it feels a little bit like this could be his last chance to really crack the starting lineup. But a lot of times, offensive linemen can have long careers as these journeyman backup players, and there's no shame in that. Uh, you know, you, you think of the swing tap tackle types, and that's kind of what Gono is now, but he can also s- slide inside, and he's got the quickness and the strength to, to play on the interior as well as the exterior. And the, so the reason he's on the hot seat, because again, he's, he's done everything he's supposed to be doing so far. But heading into training camp, new coaching staff, a new kind of scheme, but a little bit of a return to what the Falcons had been doing previously when they drafted Gono and maybe what they had in mind for him. I just feel like this might be his last shot to really be a starter coming out of camp and, and be one of the top five. I think that, that Arthur Smith has always understood that, especially now with a 17-game season, the NFL is as big a grind as ever, and you need depth, and nowhere is that depth more important than along the offensive line. So having Matt Gono as your sixth man off the bench, so to speak, is a great option because I think that he's proven that he can start in a pinch, and he does give you, you great depth if you need, if somebody does kind of tweak an ankle and needs to come out in the middle of a drive, then I feel confident with throwing him in there as you know a, a reserve guard for five, six, seven snaps, I think he'll hold up. So the only reason he's on this list is can he earn that starting spot? And if he doesn't, is he more destined to become that kind of career backup, whether that's you know an eight, nine, 10 year run in Atlanta and he's just your go-to guy off the bench or is that somewhere else and, and maybe he gets another look at a starting role. So Matt Gono is my number five, but I wish him nothing but the best. And Hot seat is a little bit more of a loose term with him than the others on my list. Number four is uh, we're staying in the trenches, but we're flipping sides of the ball. And that is defensive tackle Deidre Sinat, who, you know, I'll, I'll admit it was one of my favorite players relatively coming out of the 2018 draft. I, he was somebody who identified when I was watching film in the lead up to it coming out of South Florida. And he reminded me, you know, a little bit of a lesser man's Grady Jarrett, but that type of undersized player who plays with really good leverage and can make plays in the backfield. And so when the Falcons drafted him, I thought, uh, you know, I could immediately in my mind's eye envision what he was supposed to be. But he struggled to, you know, even crack the game day roster. And it probably isn't the best fit for him now in what this defensive scheme is supposed to be. So I worry a little bit for Deidre because it's it's never a good thing when you're a healthy scratch for most of your career. That means that you're kind of right there on on the fringe that you're not necessarily a a developmental guy because maybe they already think that you're what you're going to become, but what you're going to become isn't 
helpful enough to be out there when the action is actually occurring. He's not as suited to me. I can't just immediately picture his role for this defense. And the big caveat to all of this is that we're just projecting what this defense looks like. And Dean Pease has always said uh, that he's going to figure out what his guys do best. And he's smart enough to fit a scheme around that and build something. So we don't know what exactly is going to be here, but based on the track record that Pease brings to Atlanta, I don't know if the, the Deidre and Sinat kind of undersized one gap player is what they're looking for in their ideal defensive line. And I think, unfortunately, it's possible that he's on the list of casualties coming out of training camp as they're kind of building their 53-man roster. So, Deidre and Sinat, unfortunately, man, you're, you're number four on my list. Number three is cornerback uh, Kendall Sheffield. He had a really strong finish to his rookie season. And I, I think a lot of us had very high hopes uh, for Kendall coming into 2020. You know, could he nab that other outside starting role? Would he slide inside and, and be the nickel corner because of his quickness, his speed? I mean, the, the scouting staff for Atlanta was absolutely in love with his speed coming out of Ohio State. And the dude can freaking fly. I think regardless he's going to carve out some sort of role with the Falcons, even if that's just special teams. I mean, he could be an ace special teams player because he could be the first one down the field uh, for a punt team or for a kickoff uh, coverage unit. So I I think that we've not seen the last of Kendall Sheffield for this Falcons team, but I think it's notable that you're hearing guys like Fabian Moreau getting a look on the outside during minicamp opposite of AJ Terrell, and then you've got Isaiah Oliver, you know, looking at that slot spot. So it seems like Kendall's a little bit behind the eight ball from the jump. Also notable is that he was the fourth worst cornerback, according to Pro Football Focus, last year. And he really just didn't have the sophomore season that I think a lot of us were expecting. So that worries me a little bit because it did seem like he was going to have a shot. Maybe with the new staff, He'll have the chance to make a new impression. Obviously, uh, a lot of teams like to look at speed. And if you can just outrun everybody, you will always have a role in the league because speed kills. Everybody loves to have somebody who could not necessarily match up against Tyreek Hill, but not get roasted off the field by Tyreek Hill either. And, but there's a lot more to success in the NFL than just pure speed. And that's the part of Kendall Sheffield's game that I've yet to see really fully develop. Who knows? Again, he's going into year three. That's the time for a player to make another jump. And I really hope he does because Kendall Sheffield seems like he would be an incredibly fun player to watch. And he has been at times. I just, I haven't seen the light bulb really click for him. I hope it does. But if, if he can't, it seems like corner could be a position that the Falcons look to address either in free agency or the draft this upcoming offseason. And obviously that's a ways away, but you could see a world where very quickly Kendall Sheffield goes from being a promising rookie to way down the depth chart and possibly even off this team in the span of kind of two quick years. And again, unfortunately that's just life in the NFL. Number two on my list is another player who has been uh, his career in Atlanta has been interesting to uh, to say the least, and that's running back Quadri Allison, uh, who's another player that I really liked when he was coming out of pit. Uh, he's got the size to 
compete at the running back position. He's got exactly what you want. May not have the breakaway speed, but his vision seems to be really good. Good enough that they gave him some of the goal line carries as a rookie. But after that, we haven't really heard anything from Quadri uh, since then. I mean, even when the Falcons have had that running back by committee approach, it's been Ido Smith and Brian Hill who have been behind Todd Gurley and, and Devontae Freeman. For what Quadri seems to bring to the table, that just leaves me scratching my head a lot. And he was another player, along with Deidre Sanat, who was more often than not kind of a healthy scratch. That to me says that Quadri maybe is what he's going to be and that that was just not good enough to beat out the guys ahead of him. But notably, Ido Smith and Brian Hill are gone and Quadri's still here. All we've heard out of Flowery Branch is that it's a true open competition for the running back spot. Again, I, I would be very surprised if Mike Davis does not come out as the starting running back to, to start the year. But Quadri Allison's name has come up you know, more than a few times. And I am a little bit surprised by that. Maybe that is you know, your coach to the media giving you a vote of confidence. And they're really trying to, to see, okay, you've got a shot here. Show us what you've got because this might be your only shot. And nowhere else outside of running back is there kind of the type of turnover in the league because it's people are seeing that it's now better to have a young running back on a cheap rookie contract, burn him and churn him, and then kind of repeat that approach. If Quadri Allison, you know, doesn't really make a, a statement here, it could be his last shot. I hate that for him, but it's now or never, dude. And and step up. It seems like everything is is on the table for you because this this could be your last chance. I hope it's not, but you got to prove it. And and the NFL is all about taking the opportunity that's in front of you. New coaching staff, new scheme. Take this opportunity and run with it. No pun intended. All right, our top hot seat guy might not come as a surprise to anybody, but it's cornerback Isaiah Oliver. He's in a little bit of a different position from the other guys on this list. The reason for that being is he kind of seems like the only one that will get the chance to prove he can be part of this team and this roster moving forward. I think that he will get the shot to start in the slot, at least at the beginning of 2021. And if he doesn't, then I think that's very telling in its own right. And I'm a little surprised, honestly, that we could see him in the slot this season because when he was drafted, it was his length. It was his, his ability to kind of flip his hips and make plays with his back to the ball against you know, bigger, faster receivers down the field because he just had these incredible, this incredible wingspan to really make plays and, and bat balls down. That was kind of why he was drafted in the second round in 2018. And so none of that seems to translate well to the slot where you typically have these smaller, quicker defenders because receivers have these two-way outs and, and you really have to be read and react. And that just doesn't seem like Isaiah Oliver's game. And, and I don't really think it is. But in talking with Raheem Morris and talking with Jeff Holbrick, what they really liked about Isaiah Oliver's game and why they decided to give him a shot in the nickel spot and in the slot was his intelligence and his communication skills. And I can attest to that. I, I had had the pleasure to talk to Isaiah Oliver, uh, you know, a few times, and 
the dude is really smart. He both his parents were were athletes. He understands, you know, the media. He understands what's expected of him. He understands this is a business, and he works his ass off. I feel for him. I, I really wish that he has had the success that I believe he is capable of having. The reason they liked him in that slot was because that is where you need to have that great communication. You need to understand how plays change both offensively and defensively on the fly and very quickly. And you need to be able to communicate that both inside and outside to your outside corner, to your linebacker, to a box safety, maybe to a defensive end. And I think that Isaiah Oliver fits that perfectly. So here's your chance, dude. Basically from week five on, he moved inside and there wasn't really a noticeable uptick in his play, but his tackling did seem to make more of an impact. And that makes sense. You're closer to where all the run action is happening. And we'll see if that's where, again, they they want to line him up. It seems like that's maybe where he'll get the first crack. If he thrives there, then good for him, man. And I will be very happy because he's a good guy. You never want anybody to, to fail in this industry. There's enough failure to go around. But the, the times that guys can succeed, and the, especially the times that guys become a little bit of a redemption story, it warms your heart. and. Nobody deserves that more than Isaiah Oliver because he's put in all the work and, and he, he gets it. He understands it. And I think he'll be the first person to, to own up to a mistake. So he's number one on this list, not because I don't think he can do it, but because I think he's going to be the player that is given the most opportunity to prove that he can. And that's why the pressure is on this year, because you're, I think you're going to get a shot, dude. And I hope you make the most of it. But if you don't, then I think your time in Atlanta is is hanging by a thread. Well, it was way more fun to uh, talk about the breakout candidate guys than the hot seat guys, but that's the reality of football. And now that that I'm talking to you in this medium, I can feel free to uh, to speak my mind to say, you know, these guys got to step it up, or, or these guys are I'm really excited about, and that excites me because, frankly, that's why I'm here. That that's what I love to talk about. Football is is great medium. It brings us all together because everybody can have their opinion. Everybody can be wrong about their opinion. When you're right, you get to hype yourself up. When you're wrong, you take all the heat in the world. And I'm sure that I will take a lot of heat for somebody who I have on my hot seat list who ends up becoming a, uh, having a great season, somebody who's on my breakout list who just absolutely flames out. But if I'm wrong, I'll let you know I'm wrong. If I'm right, I'll let you know I'm right. But luckily... We're only really uh, a month away from football coming back into our lives in a meaningful capacity. And that's exciting more than anything because I won't have to keep coming up with dumb lists like this <laughs> to share to all of you. But that's our show for today. Uh, like I said, there's not going to be a podcast next week. I'm going to go to the beach, get some chance to uh, rest and relax before we really dive back into some meaningful football things. Uh, I've trying to get some stuff behind the scenes and, and figure out some cool people to talk to. Um, but I'll let you know, you guys know about that may do another mailbag ahead of training camp. So if you've got anything, always feel free to shoot me a, a DM at Will McFadden. Um, thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, today was presented by Bet Online. Uh, if you did like today's show, please subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies. Uh, we'll be doing this again on a weekly basis once I get back from vacation. And as always, take care.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.